This is Cruise Radio. Now more than ever, you should consider trip insurance for any kind of trip you take, not just cruises. Get a free quote at tripinsurance.com. Broadcasting from the tripinsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida, this is Cruise Radio. Joining us today on the show is Baher. He was just on that 14-night transatlantic cruise on Carnival Celebration, starting off in Southampton, England, and uh, ending, rather, in Miami, Florida. Of course, a couple of weeks ago, we did a little recap of the ship and our thoughts so far being a week in or so at that point. He's back on the line right now to talk all about the ship and give us a full recap of Carnival Celebration. How you doing, my friend? Hey, Doug. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Had a great trip and happy to share it. Did you make it back to Texas okay? Yes. Very, very good. So let's start at the, uh, like we'll always do, we'll just do a typical review here. So we took this 14-night transatlantic cruise, and I don't think we touched on this earlier, but you know, you normally travel the world with your family, but this was just a solo trip for you. How in the world did you get your wife to sign off on that? <laughs> right. So like you mentioned, I'll be honest, Doug, actually, this was actually a last-minute uh, booking for me. This itinerary was, it opened up a couple of years ago. I really wanted to go, but because of, I normally could go with my family, it was during kids' school time. It was a no-go for me until just like a few weeks before I found a really good solo rate. I know Carnival typically doesn't have solo rates, but they were not charging for the second person. And also not, a, and I'm also not a casino player either. So basically a really good rate, a bunch of onboard credits that I, that I got as well. I, and then I just like started looking quickly. I found a cheap flight from Austin to London Heathrow. So that wasn't an issue either. So I just somehow convinced uh, my wife, and uh, I'm glad uh, I'm glad she let me go. It was a great trip, and I'm I'm very grateful for it. I'm curious, did she have second thoughts about halfway through the trip? No, um, I don't think so. I think we FaceTimed um, a lot, or I FaceTimed them a lot during the trip. And um, I mean, she saw how how happy I was, and she knows how much I love cruising and, and how much I wanted to really do a transatlantic. I've always wanted to do one since that uh, June 2020 cancellation that the one that we were supposed to go from New York to to Dover so just this opportunity came about and with a really good rate and everything and I just I just I just couldn't turn it down very cool well we normally talk about embarkation but because Carnival really doesn't even embark in Southampton it's like their first time in like 20 years or something bringing a new ship there we're going to skip over that and go right to your first impressions of Carnival Celebration. So you step on board into Deck 6, which is Celebration Central there. What were your first thoughts? ship is beautiful. As soon as I stepped on board from the gangway, we were greeted by, because this is a maiden voyage, so we were greeted by Carnival crew. They were holding signs, welcoming us, dancing, high-fiving. It was a really good atmosphere. I was one of the first, like at least part of the AO1 group to board, so there wasn't a whole lot of people on board at that time, at least from guests. So I just managed to take a, a bunch of pictures quickly from deck six, seven, eight, and then 16, 17, 18. But essentially it's very similar to uh, the Mardi Gras. There's a few differences in the zones, uh, themes and zones, bars, the pizza deli and so on and so forth. But the layout is, is pretty similar. So having been on Mardi Gras, it looks similar. There are some differences, but it's not, it's, they're not, they're not huge. Yeah, I mean, it's basically the same blueprint from ship to ship. I think this ship's actually even like 3,000 more gross registered tons or something like that, right. which isn't really that, that big of a difference. Um, let's talk about the stateroom. You go to your stateroom, um, and because there was no one on before us, we could go right to the stateroom. So what kind of stateroom yep. did you book, and what did you think of it through the 14 nights? So because of my rate, I was uh, specific. I could only, with the rate I got, I could only get an interior cabin, which I was totally fine with. 
Yeah, the sail and side card was outside the cabin door as soon as we got on. So like I said, since there was nobody really um, before us that was that de- that debarked, yeah, I didn't really have an issue with the room. There was plenty of storage place from the cabinets, the drawers. Bathroom is small, similar to the Mardi Gras, but I do like the glass shower door. I can't remember how in the Mardi Gras there was a shower curtain. Oh, they changed it to the glass door, but I know the, the older ships, at least, they had the shower curtain. Yeah. There was plenty of, like, the outlets so there's like the plug outlets in the middle of the cabin there was also one in the bathroom like the top the top corner you like the, i was i used that for like my electric toothbrush there's also usb plugs in the middle of the room and there's also one by the bed um which is nice to charge your phone uh while you're sleeping there's that little night light that you like pull out from the from the wall and it lights up automatically and then when you're done with it you just push it back and it lights off I uh, used my free laundry service a lot. I actually just flew with a carry-on and a backpack. If anyone wants to know, the, I didn't do any, la- any like ironing myself, but in case anyone wants to know, the ironing, there are some ironing rooms. They're not on every deck. They're on decks 4, 5, 9, 14, and 15. I just used that downy wrinkle release fabric spray, which helped. Yeah, that's one thing. Good for you, too, going on with just a carry-on bag. I brought a, well, I travel with a lot of gear, too, so I couldn't really get by with just a carry-on. But that, that laundry sure comes in handy. Yeah. Um, it took, actually, for me, um, like a couple of days for the laundry to come back every time. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was asking my cabin steward, um, you know, to, like inquiring about it. But that wasn't really a common thing across the show. I had some friends on board, and theirs came back or they dropped it off in the morning some of them came back at night or at the latest the next day so it seems like two days a little of a stretch but i still managed with what i had um so it wasn't it wasn't a big deal now let's talk about dining on board celebration and you did something that was it really quite frankly even though we were on for 14 nights it blew my mind you actually dined at every single dining venue on board. So I don't know how you want to tackle this with me. Do you want to just like start at the top and work your way down? Yeah, let's do that. I, um, so I'll start off with the free, there's 13 free dining options on board and there's eight specialty, at least the ones that I counted, if I counted right. So I'll start off with the free ones first, starting from like the top deck coming down. So starting with deck 18 forward, there's fresh creations, which is in the serenity area. So it's a great salad option up there. Decks, Seven down one deck guide burgers deck 17 mids this is similar to other ships just they have a, actually a seating area like on mardi gras and then blue iguana cantina this is on 16 mids it's pretty standard burritos in the morning there's burritos and tacos for lunch and then there's street eats which is also 16 mids so i love these these are like three stations there is one for it's called time fries which is like these loaded cheese steak fries a Steam, uh, Steam Dream, which is like those um, steam buns, popstickers, and also Mad Zizzle, which is like these kebabs and satay. Then there's Lido, Lido Marketplace, 16 aft. It's the buffet area, pretty standard. There's a lot of seating area on both the port and starboard side. They also have shawarma, which is one of my favorites, um, and also gelato as well, both free. Big Chicken, 16 aft. This is on the very back of the ship. This is basically Shaq's Restaurants different kinds of um, chicken sandwiches. I like their fries a lot. They're different than guys in main dining room. They're like a lot thinner and wider, if that makes sense. So now we're done with the free options on the 16, 17, 18, and going down to deck eight. Deck eight mid is Miami Slice. So this is like the pizza place, replaces like the 
Pizzeria del Capitano, for example. And there's a few new pizza options on board. So like there's Picadillo, which has like this ground beef. And there's um, La, ha La Habana, which has like ham, chorizo, and a bunch of different cheeses. That one's to me, it was really good. And then there's some of the same stuff like Quattro Formaggio and uh, Pepperoni Margarita. And then right next to it is Deco Deli, which is on eight mids. Some different sandwiches there as well. Um, I think my favorite one was the Americano. It's like a herb grilled chicken with provolone and mozzarella and like this ciabatta bread. Eight aft. This is Guy's Pig and Anchor Smokehouse. Lots of good barbecue options there. And then eight forward is Chibang, which is near the Havana area. Uh, this is actually one of my favorite free restaurants on board. So it's like this two-in-one Chinese slash Mexican restaurant. You can pick from either side. There's lots of options, especially appetizers. Uh, lots of good stuff there. Cucino del Capitano, which is on eight mids. That's near the pizza place. It's an Italian restaurant. Uh, this is free on this ship and also Mardi Gras, unlike the um, other, other ships not other non-Excel class ships like Vista, Magic Breeze, and so on, that uh, there's a, a small charge, I think. Like, it used to be 15 I think it's like now $18 a person. Then there's a dining room. There's two. There's the Carnival and the Festival. I should also mention for the dining, there's um, a sign. So the assigned dining for early dining is at 5.30. Late dining, 7.45. Your time, of course, is pretty much any time from like, I don't know, 5.30 to 9 or something. The your time dining to me, at least, I felt was the best option because it, it lets you be able to check into any of the free restaurants, including like, like for example, I'm in Cucina or Shebang anytime. But if you have early dining, you're limited to, to only choose those restaurants after, I think if it's either 7.45 or 8 o'clock. So for the two main dining rooms, did you notice, I really couldn't get a hold on this, was one for anytime and one for a set or were they mixed up a little bit? I normally pay attention to that, but I only ate at the dining room once, to be honest, Okay. because there's so many other options. Yeah. So I didn't keep track of which one's which, to be quite frank. I just know the assigned dining times versus the your time dining. And then the, being on your time dining, you can eat at, at Cucina or Shebang at any time. But if you have the early, then you're limited to only eating at those restaurants after a certain, after like 7.45 or 8. But I forget which one's which. I, I didn't really pay you were mentioning all the free options or included in the price of your cruise options um, right at the top there. For that being free food, like, did you feel there was good value? Like, was it was it good enough where, hey, Carnival could charge a couple of bucks for this and still get away with it? I think so. I think, um, I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of specialty specialty restaurants that were really good. I thought they were good value for those. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, I see what you're saying. I think the only ones that maybe they would charge would, I would say, I would hate this. I would hate really for them to charge, to charge, charge it for Cucina or Shebang. But at least let me just say, I'm, I'm glad or grateful that there, there's no charge for those restaurants. Yeah. For those free restaurants. Yeah, I could definitely see like Cucina. Well, definitely because Cucina on other ships you pay and actually like Gigi's Asian Kitchen on other ships you pay right. too, which is basically the Asian version of Chebang. So yeah, I could see them. Um, not saying I wish they would, but I, I felt like right. they, if they were going to charge for a venue like that, that would be one they could they could get away charging for. Now you did the chef's table. And my question is, if you look at the deck plans underneath the dining room on deck four, Five, there's actually a chef's table area, but every time I walked by the culinary kitchen, they were having chef's table in there. What are they actually doing? So 
so that area, which is on um, the, the sh- so hold on a minute. Sh- Emerald's Bistro, I, I believe, is on six Haft. The um, actual chef's table, what we ended up eating um, was at Carnival Kitchen area, which is basically the same area where they do all those classes for Carnival Kitchen. There's those two long tables, two or three long tables in the, in the Carnival Kitchen. So that's where we had our chef's table. During the chef's table, we, they did escort us into the galley. I don't remember going downstairs. So mm-hmm. I do know what you're talking about on the deck plan that it is on five aft, but I don't remember honestly going there. I think it was just going into the galley and um, there was a chef there that was doing the chocolate melted cake or he was showing us how to do chocolate melted cake. He passed around like this big chocolate bag, basically the chocolate, that, the kind of chocolate that they use the recipe and took any questions and so forth. And then we were escorted back into the chef's table. Yeah. Gotcha. Now outside of the main dining room and chef's table, um, what other places did you hit? So for a specialty, I tried seafood shack, which is on 16 mids. Basically this is a, like a seafood place. I got a seafood platter. It was pretty good. Um, Rudy's Sea Grill. This is on eight aft. So it's a sit down seafood restaurant by, uh, I think it's like chef Rudy Sodomon. It's really good. It's, it was really delicious. If you love seafood, this is really the place to go. Bonsai Teppanyaki. Um, it's on 8 Mid, right next to Bonsai Sushi. It's a good experience. Um, basically, the you know it's like a hibachi style. They, they cook the food right in front of you, make it a lot of fun. Bonsai Sushi, just uh, a la carte pricing for just like sushi, sashimi rolls, and so forth. I also hit the um, Fahrenheit Steakhouse. It's on 7 Aft. It was good. I had, um, you get like a starter soup, entree, dessert. So it was, uh, I thought it was the, it was well worth it compared to at least land pricing for steakhouses. Oh, one thing to note on the steakhouse, um, there's no, I know they probably took it off a, a while back, but there's no Wagyu beef. They used to have that in the, before, I think maybe, um, I don't know if it was last, I think it was last year. I had it sometime mid last year, but, um, there's no more of that option on the menu. And then Emerald Bistro, so this is on Sixth Aft, like the Gateway Zone area. It's Emerald Lagasse's restaurant. There's a lot of good options there. Um, I had, uh, I stopped by for breakfast, like the Po Boy, which is okay, but the Banana Foster crepes and their beignets are just amazing. Yeah, the Emerald's Kitchen or Emerald's uh, Bistro, freaking amazing, man. We always had our, we called it our second breakfast there because we would get up and go to like seat a brunch or go to the chicken shack upstairs for a honey chicken biscuit or somewhere around the ship to eat breakfast, uh, blue iguana. And then maybe like 30 minutes later, like, do you want to go do our second breakfast? And we would go have sweet potato waffles and beignets down there at Emerald's. And gosh, it was uh, so awesome. Yeah, and, and also the pricing was, was pretty reasonable as well. I think those uh, banana foster beignets are like $5 or something. And, uh, I mean, there was, there was a lot of them, too. Like, the, the portions portion size was good. So it's, it's definitely worth a check out. Dude, I'll tell you, I was in Vegas about six months ago, and I went to MGM and went to Emerald's Place inside there. And for just jambalaya and a biscuit, it was thirty two ninety nine. Oh my goodness! Yeah, so it was a lot, lot, yeah. lot better on the ship for sure. I think that jambalaya was like, if I remember correctly, was like ten dollars. Yeah, it was something so, like yeah. that. Super. Yeah, um, yeah, it was it was really good though. So outside of emeralds, where we go next? That pretty much covered the specialty. I pretty much covered it all. The only one I didn't talk about, or I kind of brushed off on, was the Carnival Kitchen. 
Um, so I'm adding it here in the specialty because really you, you actually book it through the, the specialty dining, like as if you're booking the steakhouse or Rudy's. But it's basically like this hands-on cooking lesson that one of the carnival chefs, uh, you're basically following one of the carnival chefs in that kitchen area. There's several different classes like pasta master class, sushi, ice cream, cake, pork shop, and so forth. I did the pasta master class. It was basically like two people per station. They had like all the ingredients set out in front of you in these like little bowls in the right quantity. So they make it really easy. Um, and you just like follow along step by step what the chef is doing. And there's also this tablet right next to you that has a zoomed in video of what his station is doing. So you can kind of like follow along. It's almost like watching the cooking, cooking show. And um, you make everything from scratch. So like the sauce, the pasta, everything. And at the end, you get to eat basically what you made. So uh, I thought that was kind of neat. Yeah, I saw someone making apple pies in there one day, and they, they brought it to the main dining room when we were in there eating one night, and oh, they looked amazing. That, that's nice, yeah. And also, uh, you can leave your email at the end, and then email you the recipe, so that way you can like do it at home anytime, you know, if you'd like. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Let's talk about the entertainment on this 14-night cruise. A lot of ground to cover here as well. Yeah, so we had a lot of great entertainment. Um, I normally don't go to like the production-style shows, just not my cup of tea, but um, on this cruise, I really felt like Carnival or Calvin, which is the entertainment director, he got us like a lot of great singers and performers like Marcus Anthony, Jonathan Tepanelli, Kate Linderman, some other great entertainers as well. We had like magician, impressionist, juggler, ventriloquist, hypnotist. And um, some shows as well I thought was worth watching, like the Most Magnificent Circus is a new one. And then some bonus stuff added here and there by Calvin, like the Liars Club was, was hilarious uh, at uh, one of the nights. I also love comedy, and I go pretty much every night to all different comedians. I think we had like 11 comedians total. Some of my favorite were uh, Happy Cole, C.J. Jones, Caroline Picard, Tim Young, Thomas Brown, just a, a good time. Trevor, I should give him a shout out to. He's the comedy club host, and uh, he did an amazing job just throughout, not only the comedy club as hosting it, but really everywhere. There's also other entertainments like um, Family Feud. That was fun to watch. Uh, I think that's also on the Mardi Gras as well. And then there's also like a bunch of other activities, I should say, but maybe that's part of the activities and not so much entertainments like uh, the parties and whatnot. Very cool. I got to say, like, I, I didn't really... And I don't know why. I mean, we really didn't do much on those seven sea days. I guess we like ate all day and I was I was going to bed early. But like the 80s party or the hot white party or anything like that. What did you think of that as far as the atmosphere and crowd? Was it a good turnout or was it kind of uh, kind of deadsville because of the demographic of the uh, most of the cruisers? Yeah, that's what I thought would happen, that it wouldn't be a good turnout. But I, actually, it, was, it turned out to be great. I think uh, there was there was. It was quite busy. Of course, it's not nothing like, uh, you know, like people are thinking of like uh, New Year's Eve or something. It's nothing mm -hmm. like that. But I think what really helped was the cruise director, Lee. He did a great job, and I think he's, he's able to just pull a crowd. And I think he, he's just, just a great person overall, both on and off the mic. I think because of that, a lot of people wanted to go to his parties. Um, so I, I, think, I think it turned out well. Yeah, Lee's a heck of an entertainer. Yes. And... Um, there was some other activities, like something unique on this sailing also was um, the Academy of Fun. I think Tom Parks, he did like these lectures because it's a part of his 
journey. It's a, it's a journey cruise as part of his journey lectures. So he talked about stuff like photography, astronomy, wine, and so forth. So that was kind of nice. Um, there was also like a maritime Q&A with the senior officers. That was interesting to attend and like listen to the senior officers talk about various things. And uh, just, you know, a bunch of different, uh, of course, some of the stuff are similar to, you know, normal sailings as well. Uh, we also had like the throwback sea day mm-hmm. um, so that they had like um, this like shipbuilding race. Like you, you build the ship from whatever. And then like it, like you race across the pool or synchronized swimming. I didn't participate in that, but it was, it was fun to watch. Yeah. Let's talk about the, well, many sea days. There was one stretch of seven days in a row. So how was it uh, the sea days as far as crowds and congestion? It actually wasn't really bad. We had 4,500 guests on board. Uh, I think the official count was 4512. So it was about 84% double occupancy capacity, or I think like if you consider like max capacity, 70%. So it wasn't a full, full ship, but um, it really never felt overly crowded considering the number of people we had. There was a lot of seating areas and lounges, like on Lido deck, deck 16, the deck 17 above Lido, and also like on deck eight as well, even like around around the, the perimeter. For example, like the longest I've waited, I, I'm trying to remember, like the longest thing I've waited for for food-wise, let's say, was um, was Fresh Creations, actually, by Serenity. There was a line that maybe took like 15, 20 minutes because mm-hmm. that's open only on sea days for like a few hours. I think the only, like the biggest issue I think I faced or that we faced was um, Grand Central at that center stage for some of the shows, some of the popular shows, um, like that uh, Most Magnificent, Magnificent Circus, not so much because of the limited seating. There, there was, there was. I mean, there was a lot of seating there, like deck six, seven. But um, I think because of the popularity and people were initially saving seats and people were wanting to watch the show twice, so not giving a chance for others to show, to see it. So it's something that people just have to plan for and not not uh, go there last minute thinking that they're going to get a good seat. Yeah, that was uh, that was interesting watching grown adults act like children yep. with that. Um, whole seating situation on board there. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it was um, pretty insane how that how that went down. Um, how about the casino as far as um, like the cigarette smoke in and around the casino? I know they have, it's a really big casino on the ship. And personally, I thought that they did one heck of a job dividing the smoking and non-smoking as far as no smoking carrying over to the non-smoking side. But what were your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. Um, so the... I think the starboard side is the smoking, the non, the, sorry, the port side is the non-smoking. I'm a non-concealed player myself. So really the, I only walked through the port side non-smoking a couple of times and uh, I could really hardly smell any smoke. Uh, I think those dividers really did a great job. And just in case anyone listening is wanting to know the smoking locations besides the casino or maybe the non-smoking guys to know where not to, where to avoid Besides the casino, the other smoking areas, they're all outdoors. They're specifically like bar 820, which is on deck 8 mid starboard side and deck 17 aft. And also, I think they're supposed to like for smoking wise in the casino, only like if they're actively like playing, sitting and playing. So there isn't like smoking by like the, you know, the bar or anything like that. So I I thought Carnival did a good job here. Yeah, yeah, For, for sure. Now, the ports of call... What we'll do here is because, again, these aren't normal ports for Carnival Cruise Line, but they are some interesting ports. So let's just talk um, 
we'll do the port of call. Just a quick highlight, and we'll move to the next one. Okay, so first one's um, A Coruna, which is in Spain. I just did my own walking tour. I walked a lot in this port, actually about 12 miles. It's like through town. I walked in the coastal. There's a, like really pretty coastal views. So I didn't do any kind of like a tour excursion with carnival or non-carnival. A lot of local people. Um, I felt like the, the port really is not like they don't get a lot of ships in. There's not a whole lot of touristic shops, gift shops, anything like that. So it felt really like you're, you know, you're part of like the local community. So I thought that was kind of interesting and nice. Next one was in uh, Vigo, which is also Spain. So I arranged a um, uh, local company, just like a small group tour with a, with a bunch of friends on board. We went to a place called Biona. There's like a medieval town, this Galician, like, homes and areas it was very it was very very pretty it was uh it was a nice uh a nice place to visit i was able to actually get some alcohol because this is in europe so they let us basically board with buying um alcohol from the port the next one was madeira i think uh this was a beautiful island you can like see the mountains from even from like the ship i did a motorcycle sidecar private tour so basically my guide took me i had a couple of friends as well they had their own uh, motorcycle with their guide to like these places like nuns valley and saw like madeira wine plantations of like uh over in the mountains area uh i think it's like one of the best tours that i've done in really any ports from all over the you know like 45 50 different ports i've been to and then we had him drop us off at the cable car entrance area bought our ticket went up the mountain and then we did the that fun toboggan ride down which was very exciting. That toboggan ride, though, that looks kind of uh, like, do they have people ahead of you that are actually stopping the traffic and everything? Yeah, it, kind of. They do have people that, yes, that they were kind of like watching the cars. I honestly never felt like I was, you know, in danger or not, it was not safe. So uh, it's not nothing to be concerned. I think, I mean, they do this day in and day out every day. It's super fun to do, and definitely a unique experience. Yeah. And then our um, last port was what, Grand Canary? Yeah, Canary Islands. We stopped in Tenerife. So I did a non-carnival excursion here, also a small group tour, like a 10, 15 people. Uh, we went up like to the mountain, I think like 7,000 feet up to the Tahiti National Park, I think it's called. Some amazing, like unique views from up there. Before coming down, I think we stopped at a, at a place called La, La, La Laguna, and then uh, the sunlight, it was like a cute little town. And then we um, came back to the to the ship area. And then we had seven, count them, seven sea days in a row before heading into Miami, which we got to Miami a little bit early because of a, a medical emergency there. We got in like at 2 a.m. that Sunday morning instead of the normal, I think, 5 or 6 a.m. time. So let's talk about um, kind of fast forwarding through all the sea days here. Um, let's talk about the debark process, even though we got into port early, we still had to wait until the normal debark time to get off the ship. How organized did you think that was debarking 5,000 people in Miami? I think it was very smooth. Um, I was actually quite surprised how well it went. I like to do this self-assist. So folks basically that wanted to do self-assist, they were given a letter like A through G. And uh, the first letter, like the first one started uh, disembarking at seven and it was like a 15 minute interval between each one. So that ended around 8.30 and then started the check luggage, which started right after, like, you get a number from, like, like 1 through, I don't know, like, 30 or something. 
or higher. I don't, I don't know how, how, how high it goes. Because I was self-assist, but my flight wasn't until 3.30 that afternoon, I basically asked Carnival to like give me the last self-assist uh, debarkation so they changed it without a problem. For me, it was like literally from one the time they called it, I got there to the uh, to the exit area and within less than three minutes, I was already off. I think it was like five or 10 people ahead of me. Long walk in the cruise terminal in Miami to the customs, but really there was only like a few people ahead of me at the customs line. Gave my passport to the customs officer. He looked at it. 10 seconds later, he handed it back and said, welcome back home. That's it. Yeah, you know what's interesting is... So Lee, the cruise director, made it very clear that if you checked your luggage, you can't get off the ship until your luggage number is called because they bring everything out in waves in, in these yep. big bins. Well, I think that I, well, I did the self-assist, but I think I got off like with zone 10 or whatever. And there were people fit to be tied, man. They were so pissed that they had like luggage tag 27 and they had to keep waiting and they're like we shouldn't be having to wait here we were just on the ship for 14 oh. days and it's like you didn't listen then because yep. those are designed not to keep you on the ship longer they're designed to coordinate the logistics with the luggage handlers and the baggage handlers shore side which is it always blows my mind that people just don't they're either in their own world or just so absorbed with themselves or have zero self-awareness or something, whatever it is. But there's like one in every crowd or at, well, probably dozens in every crowd uh, on this ship. But it's interesting that people just don't pay attention to basic stuff. It's either they don't pay attention or they think that the rules don't apply to them. Yeah. Yeah. I think I dodged that whole part of it. I think because I was part of that self-assist and it was super smooth. Mm -hmm. um, maybe there wasn't a whole lot of people doing self-assist probably because it was 14 days and most people had luggages. Um, but I was, I just took advantage of being solo for this cruise that I just had my carry on in my backpack. Yeah. And I was, I was even impressed, man, you know, debarking with zone 10, even though I didn't have bags that, that I was checking, just carrying my own bags off. It was pretty fast. I mean, I think the longest we had to wait was maybe 10 minutes max in that um, security, that customs queue for them to check our passport, yeah. which I hope that Carnival brings that facial thing there pretty soon because that'll be really nice. But maybe because this was a, um, like a coming from the EU or whatever, they had to actually have a physical customs person there. Yeah. And actually while I was standing there and I handed my passport and during the like 10 seconds or so, I do recall seeing a camera that was pointing right at us. Mm -hmm. right at me so i'm guessing that there maybe that's doing a facial recognition while you're standing there and then maybe the only the officer sees it like it gives him a green check check mark or something then he clears you yeah uh, and only he suspects something then he you know he's going to question you yeah no for sure well let's see here any first time tips to offer anyone sailing carnival celebration so I got three that I'll go over quickly. First thing is if you want to dine in a specialty restaurant, especially like teppanyaki or any of the limited seating stuff like Carnival Kitchen or Chef's Table, just book those ahead of time. Before the cruise, you can just do it online under your Manage My Booking. You can even use your onboard credit if you have any onboard credit. There's really no risk. You can just cancel anytime if, if you can't go in advance and um, you get that money back. So just do yourself a favor, do that instead of getting on board and... Um, getting disappointed that things are sold out. Next thing is Bolt. We didn't talk about it this time, but um, Bolt's super fun. I would recommend you that I would recommend to do it first of all, and not to wait until the last sea day to do it just because they can shut down Bolt if there's high winds or there's rain. 
and you don't want to be disappointed to miss that out. So it's, and you can book those in a, once only, you can book it only on board, um, but you can basically, once you're on board, like on embarkation day, you can just choose the first sea day and then just um, your time slot and then just get it done. And then uh, lastly, like I mentioned with this whole seating situation in Grand Central, just plan ahead. Don't plan on going there five, 10 minutes before a show and expecting to get a good seat. Very good advice there. And I will have you know that as of last week, I was still the reigning champion of Bolt at <laughs> 42.33 seconds. So yeah, I'm, no I'm one's beat me yet. Yeah, I mine was that I think my my second time that I did it was better than my first and I got like 44 seconds. <laughs> uh, so great job. Yeah, you just got to keep that keep that finger on both the turbo and the accelerator and just take, let that thing take you take you around the ship for sure. Yeah, looking back, what was the biggest highlight of this cruise for you? I think just being a special cruise in general, it's Carnival's newest ship, the maiden voyage, the transatlantic, all just things that I was just highlights to me and also getting a chance to meet um, some of the Carnival people like John Heald, Pierre, the uh, hotel director, Calvin. I even met Christine Duffy, the president. I also met you, Doug meeting a bunch of friends on board, hanging out with them. And then I can't, I can't go without missing saying the, uh, that motorcycle sidecar in uh, Madeira was also a super fun and highlight for me as well. Yeah, for sure. Well, in closing, your final thoughts of Carnival Celebration. Beautiful ship, wonderful crew working there, lots and lots of dining options, activities, entertainment, really something for everyone. Just a good time overall. Very good. We've been talking with Baher about his 14-night sailing on Carnival Celebration. A lot to unpack there and a lot of information, and we learned a lot. I know I did. Thank you so much for coming on, my friend, and have a good one. Happy holidays. Thank you so much. You too. You have questions. We have answers. Get the whole story on cruiseradio.net. A big question we get at Cruise Radio is, how do I know if I need trip insurance? Simple answer, if you're getting on a plane, taking a road trip, or getting on a cruise ship, you need to have travel insurance. Hey, it's Doug Parker for my friends at TripInsurance.com. Not, not only does TripInsurance.com protect your vacation investment, but it also gives you peace of mind in case anything were to go wrong on your trip. How do they do it? They offer three different types of trip insurance policies. Good, better, and best. One policy for every vacation budget. But it doesn't just stop there. They're up to 40% lower when you shop around on other comparison sites. Plus, TripInsurance.com offers 24-hour customer support before, during, and after your trip, online claims assistance, and travel alerts to let you know what's going on at your destination. But find out for yourself. Check out TripInsurance.com. Have a question or a comment for the show? Yeah! Send an email or voice memo to Doug at CruiseRadio.net. All right, Dougie, let's see what we got for you, buddy. Cruise Radio is produced at the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. Get cruise news, ship reviews, and money-saving tips every Thursday on Cruise Radio. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show. If you want to help spread the word, Give Cruise Radio a five-star review. Find Cruise Radio where you listen to your favorite podcast or online at cruiseradio.net. I'm your announcer.